I'd like to invite the children now to come forward, if they'd like to, to meet Miss Natalie, and she's going to take you to the tree room and teach you more about Jesus, and we're delighted that the children are here and that Miss Natalie's here. Miss Natalie, after the worship service, will deliver them to the courtroom, to the courtyard, and we would like you to pick them up out there, so please pick them up after worship with Miss Natalie, and Miss Natalie, thanks for all you do. We appreciate you very much. Somebody said to me, Miss Natalie is hip, and I think she is hip. We're in a sermon series on Jesus is the question. And it might surprise you to know that Jesus asked more questions than he answered. He's much more of a question answer, asker than an answerer. So today we're dealing with five rhetorical questions about worry. And it'd be interesting to have a conversation with every one of you about the things that you worry about or that I worry about. But I think this message will relate to every one of us. So the scripture passage today is from Matthew chapter 6, from the Sermon on the Mount, verses 25 to 34, when Jesus gives us, I believe in this text, the antidote to worry. And Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 25 and following. These are the words of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, I pray you'd pour through me today the gift of preaching, that these words might not simply be my human words or a human opinion, but these words might, by your grace, be a living word to every one of us. And I pray that if there's anyone here today who's distant from you, O oh God, they will get back in sync with you. I pray that if there's anyone here who's harboring something they're really worrying about, I pray we might let it go and be able to trust you. All this we pray with anticipation, asking you to pour through me the gift of preaching. And we pray in the strong name of Jesus, the risen and the reigning Christ. Amen. Well, the clock read 1.37 a.m., and Bill still couldn't sleep. He tried everything to sleep. He changed his pillows, moved them around, changed the blankets and the sheets, and took a sleeping pill. But sleep eluded him. He was worried about Bridget. Bridget is Bill's 35-year-old daughter. I guess I should have said Bridget was Bill's 35-year-old daughter. 
Bill was really worried about her because she went to Montana and he hadn't heard from her in a time. And, and then she was on a camping trip with some friends and she actually slipped and fell 150 feet to her death. Bill worries about Bridget. He worries about the last moments of her life. Did she survive the fall? Was she conscious or was she, did she regain consciousness? Was she awake at all? Did she cry for help? What were her last few seconds like? What were her last few minutes like? And then the most haunting question that he kept thinking about at 1.37 in the morning is, did she want to fall? Bill knew she'd had a series of bad romantic relationships and she had a marriage that ended in divorce and she didn't want the divorce and Bill just wondered, maybe the falling, maybe the fall was an escape. Maybe it was that she took her life. All these questions flooded her mind. Have you ever been awake at 1.37 in the morning? If so, what are you worrying about? Unless I miss my guest today, there's somebody here who's worried at night. Maybe worried like Bill about how you're going to get over the death of a loved one. Maybe it was your parent or... Maybe it was your spouse or a sibling or a child. And you don't know how you're going to continue to go on. Anybody ever worry about that? Unless I miss my guess, there's somebody here in high school and you're starting to think about college and you get to be a junior or a senior and maybe you worry in the middle of the night, am I going to get into that college I want? And if so, am I going to meet the person I'll spend the rest of my life with? And you're kind of worrying about your future when you're a high school junior or senior and unless I miss my guess, there's a business person here today who's trying to close a deal and you just can't close it and you're worried, am I ever going to close this deal? Unless I miss my guess, there's somebody here in the business world who's got somebody working for you and you know they're not right for the position and you've got to fire them or lay them off or tell them they're no longer employed here. And maybe you've got to do this tomorrow or next week and it isn't easy to do it. The holidays are coming up and you, you worry about their family, but you know it's the right thing to do, but you worry, worry, worry. How can I do it? And unless I miss my guess, there's somebody here who said something in anger or in haste, or when you're full of resentment and bitterness and this bile just comes out of you and you said something that hurt somebody very, very badly and you, you can't take that word back now. And unless I miss my guess, there's somebody here who's done something you just wish you'd never done, but you can't take it back. What do you worry about? What do I worry about? Well, see, when Jesus talks about do not worry... The word that he uses for worry is the word merimnen. It's a Greek word which literally means to choke or to strangle. It worries the kind of thing that can choke you or strangle the life out of you. And what Jesus is warning us about is do not worry. In other words, do not let worry so overwhelm you that it's like you're frozen. You can't even take a move. You can't even take a step. Or it's like you're drowning in quicksand and you just can't get out of it and you want to get out of it, but you just can't move. You're, you're paralyzed. It's that kind of worry. It's interesting that the American Medical Association says worry is a killer. Worry can cause ulcers and it can cause heart attacks and strokes and it can even cause sometimes liver damage. But it's so interesting that sociologists say that 86% of the things that we worry about never become a reality. So Jesus, in this text for today, I think gives us the antidote for worry when he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, not second or third or fourth, but seek ye first God's kingdom and a right relationship with God and all these other things will be yours as well. That's the antidote to worry. Put 
your trust in God. But it is one thing to say, put your trust in God. It's quite another matter to do it. Particularly when you're worried about something that is consuming you and strangling you. And you just can't get away from it. So this morning, I think God wants to give us three spiritual principles that will help us to really say we put our trust in God, mean it, and do it. Principle number one. Jesus asks us to put our trust in God because God is the sovereign Lord, the architect, the designer of the universe. So he asks these rhetorical questions like, consider the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So why do you worry about what you're going to eat, Jesus asks. And so what Jesus is saying is God has created a system in the universe where everyone and everything has a purpose. And the human beings have a purpose. We're the crown of God's creation, but God's created everything for the birds of the air. So all their food is available to them with worms and and little berries and little bugs and little insects that they eat and and fruit that's available to them. It's like they live in the aisle of a Ralph's department store. All they can do is go right down the aisle. They can get everything they need. They don't have to go to Costco and store it up into barns. And Jesus is saying, all this food is available to them. So why would you worry, human beings, about food Don't you think God loves you more than the birds? Or consider the lilies of the field. They are absolutely arrayed in beauty. The lilies of the field in Palestine, I've seen these lilies of the field. They are gorgeous. They're exquisite. Even Solomon in all his glory, Jesus says, wasn't arrayed like one of these. It's like they just stepped out of a Vogue catalog. It's amazing the the brilliance God's given to them and the colors But here's the thing, they're only going to live one day or two days, and then they're going to be thrown into the fire and burned. So Jesus says, are you not of more value than these lilies of the field, even though you're going to live longer than one day or two days? Doesn't God love you more than them? So why do you worry about your clothing, your appearance? And who can add one second, one minute to your span of life by worry? No, but some of us live 20 years, some 40 years, some 60 years, some 80 years, some 90 years, some 100 years, but nobody knows how long you're going to live, so you can't add to your span of life by worry. But here's an interesting thing Jesus says, God will provide for you, and that word provide is an interesting word. It literally means providerate, to see ahead. God sees ahead, God knows what you need, and God provides for us. So if anybody ever said, gee, that was a coincidence, Meeting that person was quite a coincidence. Having that thing happen to me was quite a coincidence. Have you ever said that? I'm starting to say in my life that I don't think of things as much as coincidences anymore as God incidents. In other words, I'm realizing God really is the architect, the designer of the universe, and God sees ahead to what we need before we do, and God puts people and things in our path that we need in our life. And sometimes if we just open our eyes and see all the things God has given to us. I learned this with our older son, Ryan. Ryan was a, went to the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, and he was a senior in Annapolis and on the crew team. And he was driving with his crew buddies to Georgia, to Lake Lanier, to row crew in the spring break. And Holly, a girl, the girl he eventually married, the young woman who's now our daughter-in-law, she was riding with Penn State girls to spring break in, in Florida. And they were going to meet guys and hang out and have a great time. And so they were all driving back from Florida. And the boys were, and the Navy guys were driving back from Lake Lanier in Georgia. And on I-85, 
The girls from Penn State saw Ryan's USNA, United States Naval Academy, license plate, and they honk and they put in their car on the wind, window, go Navy, beat Army. And it got these, Army guy, these Navy guys' attention, and they went roaring by. So then the Navy guys drive up past the Penn State girls, and they all roll down their windows, and they start talking. And the Penn State girls are saying, hey, do you know Todd Ferris? He goes to the Naval Academy. Ryan says, oh, yes, he's in my company. I know him very well. Now, they're concentrating on the road as they're going, by the way. And they're talking between cars. And they decide to stop for lunch. And the guys say, hey, why don't you join us for lunch? And they do. So they throw in the Frisbee, having burgers, having a great time. And then the Navy guy suggested, hey, why don't half of the Penn State girls get in our car and half of the Navy guys will get in your car. We're going to ride five hours together on the highway. Why don't we do this? So they all did it. And, but here's what's interesting. Ryan and Holly, who eventually got married, were not in the same car. But after they got out, Katie Ferris, whose brother had gone to the Naval Academy, said to Holly, man, I met this great guy, Ryan Toole, and his dad's a minister. And when he listens to you, he really gives you his undivided attention and he said to Holly, I think you'd really like Ryan. And actually, Holly called the Naval Academy boathouse, got a hold of Ryan, who was captain of the Navy crew team. They started talking, and she said, uh, Ryan, are you going to follow in your dad's footsteps? You understand your dad's a minister. He said, no, no, I'm not going to be a minister, if that's what you mean. She said, no, no, that's not what I mean. I mean, are you going to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And Ryan said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And so a romance began. And over the next two years, they dated and went to dances together and, and started to get together. And they fell in love. And Ryan asked Holly to marry him. And she said, yes. So when Suzanne and I sent the notice for the invitation for the rehearsal dinner, it read as follows. By the grace of the divine traffic controller, Ryan and Holly met on Interstate 85 in Georgia and you're invited to the I-85 Romance Rehearsal Dinner to avoid toll, call Suzanne Toole, Director of Highway Operations. And Ryan and Holly met, fell in love, got married. Now, do you think that was a coincidence? Or was that a God incident? I'm suggesting to you that things like that happen every day of our lives, but we don't see them. We're not thinking about them. See, the God of the universe wants more for you than you want for yourself. God is orchestrating the universe in such a way that the providing for the birds and the lilies of the field and for us as human beings, but so often we're not in tune with God. We're not trusting in God. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher and theologian, said, we live our lives going forward, but we understand them looking back. As you look back on your life, can you see the hand of the divine architect maybe rearranging the universe a bit to, prep, to plan ahead, to see ahead for you? Do you put your trust in him? Principle number two, to put your trust in God we must make God the number one priority of our life. Now, God designed every human being with a God-shaped void in our life that only God can fulfill. There's nothing else that can fulfill that void, that hole. We try to fill it with drugs and alcohol and sex and power and prestige and money, but there's nothing that exactly fills that hole because we're a fickle people. We like to kind of keep our options open, and, and we don't want, as Jesus says, to make God number one for fear that something else will become number one, so we like to keep our options open. 
We're like the young man who went into the card shop searching for a, a card for the girl he loved. And he said to the sales clerk, I want the right card for this very special young lady that I'm dating. Can you help me find a card? And the sales clerk said, I think I know just the card for you. She pulled out a card and it said, to the only girl I ever loved. This young man said, that's perfect. Wonderful. I'll take six of those. <laughs> and see, what so often happens is we want to keep our options open. We want to have God number one, but we also want success to be number one or make it a lot of money number one or family number one. But here's the truth. No human relationship can fulfill all the needs of our life. No amount of money can ultimately satisfy us. There is no possession. There is no lifestyle that can ultimately meet all of our needs. Only God can meet all the needs of our life. And God is desperate to get to know you. God's desperate to get to know me. God wants to spend time with us. I've told you before, I think, that Suzanne and I are grandparents, and we have seven grandchildren between the ages of three and 22. So we've got quite a group. But we love each of the grandchildren. It's a great privilege to be their grandparents, and we love watching them grow up and being a part of their lives. It's why we moved here to Claremont, to be close to our grandchildren. But here's the thing. You know what's even greater than being a grandparent? Watching our sons be dads. We had two sons. Now we've got seven grandchildren. But each of these two sons, one has four children, one has three. Each of our sons are big and strong and athletic. And, and I've seen them with these little children who come over to them. And they say, Daddy. And they describe somebody hurt them or they were hit with a baseball or they were hit with a Frisbee or they skinned their knee. I've watched this for years, them do this. And they bend down and they put their arms around these children and essentially say, tell Daddy all about it. And I've seen these little girls, it just kind of melts my heart that I never had a daughter, these little girls who come up to them, say, Daddy, and they're, they're, they're sniffling and they're crying and they pour out their heart to their dad and he's kind of rubbing their shoulders and their back and telling them he loves them. And, and your heavenly father is the same way. God is saying to us, tell daddy all about it. Anything you're worried about, anything that keeps you up at 1.37 in the morning, God is saying to you and me, I want to know about it. Tell daddy all about it. And God will comfort us. In fact, God's the only one who could ultimately comfort us. And I want to say this as gently and tenderly as I can. But if anybody today feels distant from God, like you haven't been in touch with God in a while, like you've kind of moved away from God, well, let me tell you gently, guess who moved? If you feel distant from God, God didn't move away from us. We moved away from God. God is inviting us back into a relationship with God. God wants to know the desires of your heart, wants to know the worries of your life, the things that keep you up. God wants to hear about that and talk about it with you and comfort you. So is there anybody here today who needs to send God a card to the only God I've ever loved and really mean it? God wants us to get back in sync with God. And maybe today's your day, my day, when we'll get back in sync with God. And the third thing we need to remember if we put our trust in God, and this is also a hard principle to learn, but to put our trust in God, we must let go of control. Control is an illusion. Nobody's in control. 
If we think we're in control of our life, we're sadly mistaken. We're not in control. We're not sovereign. Only God is sovereign. We don't control anything. If you think about it, life is a series, isn't it, of letting goes. You have to let go of your childhood. You let go of your youth. You let go of your high school. You let go of friends who move away. You go to college. You let go of your college. You let go of friends who move away and scatter. And then you let go of your freedom. When you fall in love and get married, you let go of freedom. And then when you fall in love and get married and have children, you're really letting go of your freedom. And now you've got a life very busy with all these children. And then your grandparents die. And your parents die. And then you maybe let go of a behavior pattern that, that, that's killing you. And you let go of that. But that's a loss. You've got to let go of it. And you're starting to let go of, of some of your dreams. Don't become realities. And, and you have this plan for your life. And maybe it doesn't plan out. And you have to go to plan B or C or D or E. And you're letting go of all these things in your life. And finally, you're letting go of your children. And as your children grow, they, they need you for a while. But then they're pulling away from you. And it's not easy to let them go. And then the last thing we have to let go of is our own body, our own life, when we die. But here's the amazing thing. When we let go of all these things, our youth or our childhood or disappointments or all these things we let go of in our life, or relationships or people who die or move away, and when we die, God can be trusted. If we put our trust in God, we will always be with God, even in eternity, even after we die. God will take care of us. God sees ahead to what we need. And are we trying to live our life without God? Is God just an addendum to our life? Or is God the one in whom we put our trust? I love the story of the mother eagle. A mother eagle is an amazing creature. She gives birth to these babies, and she makes a nest for them. It's amazing. She, she keeps them in the nest, and they're all warm and fuzzy, and everything's great. And she feeds them with the worms and the little insects and the little bugs, and she's feeding them. And then at night, when they're all fed, she puts her wing over top of them, and she keeps them warm. And this nest that the mother has built out of little twigs and, and branches and leaves, it's a wonderful nest, and it's secure and safe. And the mother eagle's uh, arm is over them, and her wing is over them. And and they keep them safe and warm. And the little baby eagle thinks, man, this is the best life of all. It's secure and warm and nurturing. But the mother eagle loves that baby eagle enough to sometimes push them out of the nest. So one day she takes that baby eagle up to the edge of the nest. And the baby eagle looks at that world up there and says, wow, that is amazing. And the mother eagle takes her wing back and the baby eagle said, oh, mother, you wouldn't, you wouldn't. But the mother does. She bats the baby off the side of the, of the nest and the baby's falling toward the ground and the mother goes underneath and whoosh, swoops him up and brings him back to the nest. And the baby says, whoosh, that was a close one, puts him back on the side of the nest. She bats him off again and he almost hits the ground. But this time the mother eagle comes right under him again, swoops under, brings him back to the nest. The baby eagle said, man, I can't take my much more of this, but she swoops up and hits him again, and this time, instead of falling toward the ground, this baby eagle makes a startling discovery that the things, these appendages on his torso are purposeful, they're wings, and as this baby eagle starts to flap the wings out of fear, he realizes he can fly, and not only can he fly, 
But you know an eagle really doesn't fly. You know that. He soars and they mount and they ride these thermal wind currents and they go higher and higher and higher riding these thermal waves. And the mother loved that baby eagle enough not to let them stay in the comfort of the nest. Sometimes God loves you and me enough to get us out of the nest, get us out of our comfort zone so that we discover our creative imagination and discover things we never meant, we never thought we would do, but we discover why we were put on the face of the earth. That baby eagle was meant to soar and mount and have their baby eagles and put their wing over them. But the, the baby eagle would never have discovered that if that mother hadn't batted him out of the nest. So let me say this carefully. Sometimes disappointments and losses and addictions and things that we fear and failures, sometimes God lets those things into our life so that we will make this amazing discovery of why we're on the face of the earth. We were meant to soar. It's a classroom in which we learn how to trust God. Sometimes we wouldn't have trusted God. I went through a time in my life when I hit rock bottom, and I wouldn't have put my trust in God totally if I hadn't hit rock bottom in my life. Maybe you've hit rock bottom in your life. But I tell you the truth, if you can put your trust in God in good times and bad times, whether you're riding the waves of the Spirit or whether you're almost about to crash into the ground, if you can put your trust in God, God the mother eagle will help us soar and discover why we're on the face of the earth and become all we were meant to be. So, what if Bill, my friend for over 20 years, what if Bill came to you and said, I want to stop worrying about Bridget? How can I do it? What's the antidote to worry? What would you say? What would you say if Bill came to you? Well, I would say, because I've had this conversation with Bill, I would take a deep breath. I'd say my prayers. I'd want to look him in the eye. I'd want to see him face to face. I would say, Bill, first of all, the way to put your trust in God, the way to, to let go of Bridget, the way to let the antidote to worry... First of all, I thank God that you had her as your daughter. You'll always be your father. She'll always be your daughter. And you will see her again, I believe, in the kingdom of heaven. I'd say that to him first. But then I would say as gently as I could, but Bill, you got to let go of her. I mean, you're hanging on to her and you want to keep her alive and you got to let her go, man. You got to let her go and you got to let her go into the arms of God. You got to trust Bridget to God and you got to trust your own self to God, too. And Bill, I think if you will let go of Bridget, trust her into God's care, trust God to take care of her so that you'll see her one day in the kingdom of heaven. If you can do that and trust yourself to God's care, too, someday when the clock strikes 1.37 a.m., you know what you'll be doing? You will be asleep. May the same be true for us.